Have you ever told someone that you would pray for them and then walked away and forget about what this person just shared with you and even forget to pray for them later? Uh, have you ever done that? Uh, to be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm guilty of that. Uh, I've uh, told someone I would pray for them and turned around and almost immediately forgot uh, the conversation. And if you're, if you're like me, my intentions are to keep my word and to pray, uh, but I can get distracted with life, things that are going around, things that are immediately right in front of me. And I believe that this happens because we, we don't value prayer in the way that we should. Uh, what we spend our time doing, what we spend our uh, time thinking about, shows us what we value. And we can struggle with valuing the correct things in life. We, we can struggle to value prayer. This morning, we have the privilege to look at a prayer that Paul prays for the Philippian church. In his thankful remembrance of the Philippian church, he, he makes his prayer with joy. He doesn't just say that he's going to pray for them. He, he actually does pray for them. He, he doesn't just uh, say that he will pray for them, but he even, he even tells them exactly what it is that he's going to be praying for them. Um, this, this morning, we'll see what Paul prays for the church and then four desired purposes of the prayer. So we're going to be in Philippians, so please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remem remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Lord, as we take a look at this passage, I, I ask that you would uh, open our eyes and open our hearts, um, that you would uh, convict us of sin and, and draw us to yourself, that we may grow more and more in, in love for you and grow more and more in, in the knowledge of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul, in his love for the Philippian church, he tells them what he's praying for them and why he's praying for them. So why is it that Paul tells them what he is praying? I, I believe Paul is pointing them back towards the Lord. Uh, 
who is the one who brings about salvation and brings about sanctification. So we can see this twice in the build-up to Paul's prayer for the church. So if you look back at verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Why is it that, that Paul thanks God? Isn't, isn't Paul thankful for their, their partnership with uh, him in, in, in the gospel? So he's thankful for the Philippian people? Um, yes, he, he is specifically thankful for them. Uh, Paul, Paul is thankful for the church and the people of the church. Uh, but the only reason that there actually is a church is because of the work of God. So without the finished and complete work of Christ, there would be no church. And so Paul thanks God, who is the reason why there is a church. This, this points the Philippian people back to the Lord. It, it takes their eyes off of themselves and, and puts it back on Christ. The, the Lord is the reason for their partnership with Paul in the gospel, not them. Paul also has just reminded the Philippians that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so who is it that brings it to completion? It's the Lord. The the Lord is the one who does the work in us and, and completes the work in us. Paul sharing what he is praying for the Philippians is not it's not merely just to encourage them, uh, but it, it points them to the one who, who does the work that he is praying for. It points them back to the Lord. Um, it, it's not that Paul's prayer has some great power uh, to bring about change, uh, but the one being prayed to God, uh, he is the one who has the power. The, the focus is placed completely on, on the Lord. And we see this again at, at the end of verse 11 where we see that the abounding in love and growth in Christ-likeness is to the glory and praise of, of God. This is a helpful teaching to keep the Philippian church God-centered rather than being tempted to be man-centered, and, and we need to hear this truth as well. Um, now, it, it is encouraging to, to know that you're being prayed for, especially in a time of difficulty. This is part of the fellowship of, of the church, praying for each other. And I love this example that Paul gives to us in, in sharing uh, the prayer and pointing us to the purpose of the prayer. This makes it clear what is being prayed for and points people back to the Lord, which is uh, what we're to be doing as members of the church. We're to encourage each other and build each other up in the Lord. Uh, which is to constantly be pointing each other towards Christ instead of ourselves. Um, the, the encouragement that Paul gives to the church in communicating what he's praying is not just for encouragement's sake alone, but to encourage them in the Lord. It is in Christ where we can find true and lasting encouragement that doesn't go away. Uh, I, I'm, I'm someone who's I've failed before. Uh, I'm pretty sure that there'll be something again in the future that I, that I fail at. Um, if I'm trying to find encouragement in myself or simply, you know, like you'll get it next time sort of mentality, that encouragement is directing me towards 
myself. Uh, an encouragement that points us towards ourselves is not a lasting encouragement because we fail. Um, if my own self is the source of my encouragement, it's trouble. Um, we must point each other towards Christ. Christ has never failed and will never fail, and he will complete the work that he sets out to do, that he started in you. So be encouraged by the character of God. Um, Paul has shown us his affection for the church. The, the affection that Paul has for the Philippian church moves him to pray in thankfulness and joy. Prayer for, for others is an overflow of, of love for others. Prayer for the church is fruit that comes from the love for the church. And it is good to have affection, to have love for the church. Paul says that it is right for me to feel this way about you all. And Paul was a, he was a passionate guy. It's evident in his, in his writing. Um, it's evident in his, in his history that he had been a, a zealous and passionate person before coming to know the Lord. He was trying to destroy the church. But because of the grace and the work of Christ in his life, he's now passionate about building up the church in, in Christ. And his affection for the church moves him to pray in love. So, so what is it exactly that Paul prays? No, he, this, is, this is the prayer that he prays. He prays, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Okay, so although Paul has addressed his emotion, his passion for the church, and that emotion and passion is an important part of what moves him towards prayer, but now... In his prayer, he directs their attention to the mind. God made us to be emotional people, but that emotion is to go hand in hand with the correct knowledge of God that works itself out in a discerning life. Did you notice in his prayer the way in which love abounds? Paul did not pray this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all emotion and affection. He did not pray that prayer. Paul had, again, just emphasized his emotion and affections for the church. He even calls it good. But the emphasis in his prayer is not in the building up of emotion, but instead it is the building up of knowledge and discernment that goes along with the growth in love. Our affections, our emotions, and our expressions of love can be misguided, ungodly, and, and sinful if we do not have knowledge and discernment to go along with love. When we do not have knowledge and discernment to go along with love, our love can actually become a, a worldly love rather than a, a biblical love. We'll, and we'll see this a little bit more in the future here. Um, so what does it mean, what does it look like for our love to abound more and more with knowledge and discernment? The picture here is of uh, abundance, to have an excessive amount, to 
to abound more and more is to be growing in the bountiful fruit of love that goes along with knowledge and discernment. So it's important to note who this love is directed toward. Um, This love that abounds is first and foremost directed towards God. Remember, it is God who Paul thanks in verse 3. Our our love for God is to grow and grow and grow as, as we get to know him more and more. Don't forget your first love. Forgetting our, our first love is how we get in trouble. When we start to love people or things more than God, that's idolatry. This is the, the greatest commandment, to, to love the Lord, our God, with our whole heart and soul, mind and strength. This abounding love is to grow more and more in love with God. And as we grow in our love and knowledge of God, by, by being in, in his word, uh, that, that's how we grow. It, being in, in, in his word, in order to get to know someone, you, you talk to someone, uh, you listen to them. And, and reading and listening to the scriptures is how you can listen, listen to God, hear from God. It is how he reveals himself to us. It, we, we learn about the character of God in, in his word. Uh, we learn about what he has done throughout history. We learn that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love in, in the scriptures. And we see how God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love in, in the scriptures. Don't neglect the reading of, of God's word. In your love for God, seek out the word of God. Secondly, this, this love is also directed towards the church. Paul says that he yearns for them with the affection of of Jesus Christ. Uh, Our love for God overflows into a love for our neighbors, the the second great command. Um, Before we look at the four purposes that that Paul gives for the prayer, I believe it's important to mention one last thing about uh, knowledge and love. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So we just read a prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians in which he is praying that they would grow in, in knowledge. And then in this passage here, Paul says that knowledge puffs up. Okay, so, so what's, what's happening here? We're, we're seeing the importance of love and knowledge abounding more and more together. If we are to grow in knowledge, but do not grow in love at the same time, this can breed arrogance and pride. Um, to be proud and arrogant is to be foolish, which shows the irony here. Growth in knowledge without love can lead us to be foolish in our knowledge. Um, We see a similar irony if we grow in love without knowledge. The danger of growing in love without knowledge is that 
we can fall into the trap of approving what is evil in the name of love because we do not have the knowledge to know what is evil. And to approve of what is evil is actually not loving at all. This is the irony here. Growth in love must coincide with growth in the correct knowledge of who God is. Without both, we can fall into a trap of pride, living in an undiscerning way. And so this brings us to the first purpose that Paul provides us for the prayer. The first purpose is this. It's just straight from the verse. So that you may approve what is excellent. So that you may approve what is excellent. So what does it mean to approve something? To approve of something is to judge it worthy. uh, To judge it as good and commendable. uh, To be praised. To approve of something is to accept it, agree with it, support it. Is approval. Um, To give someone your approval is to give them your acceptance and support. So Paul prays for growth and love and knowledge with discernment in order that they would approve of what is excellent. Do you see what this also implies? It implies that it's possible to approve of what is not excellent. In fact, this is the natural sinful condition of mankind. Uh, To look at what is good and call it evil. To look at what is evil and call it good. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. This passage speaks to how sinful man approves of what is evil. Sinful man looks at what is evil and calls it good. We see this every day in the culture that we live in. We just saw this type of thinking on full display in the month of June, where we saw sexual immorality being celebrated and called good. The world has approved of what is evil. This is, this is devastating. Sin is devastating. And Romans 1 gives an exact representation of this. Romans 1, starting in verse 24, it says this, Therefore God gave them in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, 
slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Isn't this a a perfect description of what we see? People practicing sin and giving approval to to those who practice sin. This is the, the natural state of mankind. We are in desperate need of a savior. It's, it's easy to, to look at how the world calls evil good and good evil. Um, and we need to call that out and call the world to repent. Um, also, we need to look at our own lives. Look at our, our own hearts. Examine how, how we can call evil good and good evil. Our own hearts can deceive us as well. Everyone who has repented and believed in Jesus is saved by the grace of God and can give thanks to God because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we also will continue to grow in sanctification as our hearts and minds are changed to conform to Christ and and, and away from the pattern of the world. This is why it's, it's so important to be in the word of God because it is there that we grow in our love for the Lord and in our knowledge of him. And as we grow in love with God and knowledge of who God is, we're able to live more discerning lives and approve of what is truly excellent. The second purpose is this. It says, So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. As we abound in love and knowledge, and as this love for God and knowledge of God shapes our lives, we will then live lives that are more and more obedient to the commands of God. As we approve of what is excellent more and more, we will live in an excellent way more and more as well. This is the growth of the imitation of Christ, that we would continually be putting off the old self and putting on the new self that we would put off our, our sin and put on the righteousness of Christ. The natural state of man is to be impure and worthy of blame at the day of Christ. The, the natural state of man is defiled. Uh, David puts it this way in, in Psalm 51.5. says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And anybody who's had children knows this is true. We don't need to teach them how to be selfish. They, they, they begin selfish. We need to teach them how to share and how to think of others. Um, this is because we're, we're sinful from the beginning. Um, we're self-centered from the beginning. Mankind is, is naturally impure, and worthy of blame because of our sin. Mankind is self-seeking and self-centered. And this is bad news when it comes to the day of Christ. 
when Christ returns, how, how will he find you? Will you be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, or will you be impure and worthy of blame at the day of Christ? And so these questions beg another question. How do we become pure and blameless for the day of Christ? The only way to be pure and blameless at the day of Christ is to have your debt of sin paid for and the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to you. That's the the only way. This is possible for every person who repents of their sin and believes in Jesus Christ for salvation. Salvation is is the Lord's. It's his work. Look back at verse 6. It says, He who began a good work in you. It is the Lord who begins his work in you. Repenting and believing in Jesus is a work that the Lord does in your heart. Salvation is a gift that is given to you by God. And I urge you this morning, if you have not repented of your sin and believed in Jesus Christ, that you would do that today. And you can be pure and blameless at the day of Christ. At the moment of salvation, you receive justification from God. And this is God's declaration that you are no longer guilty, but instead pure and blameless in his sight. Uh, listen to this wonderful doxology found at the end of Jude. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God is able to present you as blameless and pure before the presence of God. If you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're justified. And now, You are to live in this reality that as you grow in love more and more with the knowledge of God, that you would grow in your Christ-likeness and more and more live a life of of purity. The, The third purpose says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. God created mankind to be people who can be filled. Uh, In fact, we will be filled with something. Uh, This has been something that's jumped out to me as we've, with the men, been reading through Donald Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines book. Um, The fact that we will be filled with something Whitney mentions that the most important spiritual discipline is the intake of God's word. This is because we were created to be filled. And we will be filled with with something. If someone is not filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, then they will be filled with something else. Whatever, Whatever you fill yourself with will overflow out of you. A great example of this comes in in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are are in the garden, and uh, God has given Adam instruction that they can eat from any tree in the garden except for one tree. They are not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if they do, they will die. A crafty serpent comes to them and says, 
Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So the serpent questions the truth of the word of God. And then he goes further and says, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve, they, they decide to fill themselves with the belief, and believe the lies of the serpent. And as they were filled with what is false, they then made decisions and acted in an, an unrighteous way. They, they, ate, they actually ate a fruit of, of sin. The falsehood that they filled themselves with overflowed into their actions. As this overflow of unrighteousness, and this overflow of unrighteousness is also seen in, in their words a few verses later, God, God confronts them in their sin. Um, but all they do, all they do is pass the blame. Was it Eve's fault that Adam ate the fruit? No. That's a lie. But it is a lie that flows out of the heart of Adam. Was it the serpent's fault that Eve ate the fruit? No, that, that is a lie. But it's a lie that flows out of the heart of, of Eve. Both Adam and Eve were responsible for the decisions that they made to, to disobey God. They, they filled their hearts with a lie that came from the serpent, and now out of their hearts flow more lives, more lies, because what we fill ourselves with overflows. Um, we need to see that we will be filled. We will be filled with truth, or we will be filled with what is false. And whatever it is that we are filled with will overflow out of us. And so here's, here's the reality. that If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will overflow with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Listen to Ephesians 5, 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a call to be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit leads to the overflow of love and how we address others. Paul's prayer is that their growth in love and knowledge would lead them to a life that is filled with the fruit of righteousness. And this isn't just any righteousness. This is really important. This is the fruit of righteousness that, that comes through Jesus Christ. Any righteousness that comes somewhere else other than Jesus Christ is a false righteousness. So how can we be filled with the Spirit? Acts 2.38 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. That is the truth. The fourth purpose of the prayer says, to the glory and praise of God. To the glory and praise of God. So all of this growth in love and knowledge and discernment is for the glory and praise of God. This is crucial. And don't overlook this. I know it it can be easy to simply say, yes, like everything's for the glory of God. Um, It can be easy to be somewhat dismissive about the truth of that statement. Our growth in love and knowledge that moves us to approve of what is excellent and to live pure and blameless lives filled with the fruit of righteousness is for the glory and praise of God. The natural state of man, the natural state for for you and me, is to glorify ourselves, to praise ourselves. We we love to seek glory for ourselves. This is self-worship. And unfortunately, we've seen how this plays out, again, especially this last month. This This is how it works. When people do not grow in love for the true God of Scripture and do not grow in the knowledge of God, they instead grow in love with the world and with worldly knowledge that is provided in earthly philosophy. Love for the world and growth in earthly philosophy moves people to approve of what God says is evil. And when people approve of what is evil, they also practice what is evil so that they are impure and worthy of blame for the day of Christ. And all of this is done in the name of pride and self-righteousness that comes from self. And it is to the glory and praise of self. Do you see the downward spiral of this? It's, it's tragic. Um, but it's also, it's also where we came from. Um, the, the only reason Christians have been saved out of this pattern is because of the grace of God. And it is Paul's prayer that it is the exact opposite of this pattern that we see in the world. Um, our, our love for God is only made possible because God loved us first. First John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The only reason we can grow more and more in love with God is because God loved us first. In the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our approval of evil, God still loved enough to send Christ to die for sinners. For all of us, there have been times that we have failed to approve of what is excellent. On our own, we are are not pure and blameless before God. We had decided to, to fill ourselves with the fruit of unrighteousness that comes through ourselves. And we did this all to the glory and praise of self. But God, in in the riches of his kindness, sent Jesus Christ to to fulfill the law that we couldn't fill. Jesus died 
in the place of sinners, taking the penalty, the wrath of God that sinners deserve. He rose again from the grave, and now those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. As we remember and celebrate this truth, remember to pray for each other and to point each other to the Lord Jesus. It's him who completes what he starts. Let's pray. Lord, we're amazed of you. We were people who were abounding in love for the world and were abounding in earthly wisdom. We were people who approved of what was evil, um, being impure and worthy of blame, being filled with the fruit of unrighteousness, and all this for our own glory. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of our rebellion against you, You found it fitting in your mercy and your grace, your kindness, your compassion to send Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, die a death in the place of sinners and rise again so that there may be hope that sinners like like me and, and the people in this room could have new life, eternal life with you, Lord. We we thank you. We ask that the same prayer that that Paul prayed. We ask that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernments, that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and all of this to the glory and praise of you, God. Amen.